Abba Yahweh, blessing yet again and giving the opportunity to share your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, Father, guide your word, to share with anyone who would listen, my brothers and sisters, and for those that have not yet decided to accept that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of you, my Father, that he came to sacrifice himself for us. And in that, we need to share that gospel, your truth, your knowledge and wisdom with all, Father, so that all would have an opportunity to be saved and not perish. Father God, thank you for allowing me to get into your treasury and draw that out to share with others. Ab Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua Aman, Parklintos, Aman. So, this thing today that we have going on around us is so, hmm, lends to darkness, but God, God's word tells us to enter his gates with thanksgiving. So entering in prayer and coming and presenting yourself before God, always be thankful. There's so much to be thankful for. Yeah, things are dark and dismal and, and in the world and on this plane of existence that we're on, but even within this world, <clears throat> and even as dark and as uh, egregious as some of these people who are supposed to be tending us are, we still have so much to be thankful for. There's so much beauty around that God has created to be able to see. We have so many things to be... I'm thankful that God has graced me to draw breath and mercifully allowing me to keep that, to continue through the day to be able to share from his book, his treasury, to share with you that he allows me to be a conduit for that. I thank God for my children, my grandchildren. I thank God for his forgiveness. I thank God for the those that he brings to be able to share with them. And they they just being able to tell them, hey, this is a gift from God for me to deliver to you. Don't, th yeah, you're welcome, but thank God. And I have to remind people of that. I prayed to God, the prayer of Chavez, to bless me, to bless others. And he does. He brings people to me. It's beautiful. Thank you, Father God. But I don't get all vaunted up and puffed up and all. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about God's way, God's will, God's word, God's truth, God's knowledge, God's wisdom that he shares with me because that's the other prayer. God, share your knowledge and wisdom with me so that I can be a better speaker for your gospel. He honors that. He's honored both of those prayers mightily. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Father, for anyone out there listening that turns and seeks to find your face, to seek your face, to seek your truth, and accept that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of you, Father God, that you sent him here for us, 
and they now have the opportunity to enter into the kingdom of heaven and be with their loved ones. Yes, thank, there's so much to be thankful for. And even in the midst of turmoil, thank God. Why? Because he's there with you. Thank you, Father, for not leaving me and not forsaking me in this mess. It's, it's difficult. And it may continue to be a difficulty while you're, while you're there. But God is standing with you. He's not leaving you. He's not forsaking you. And this is a situation to build faith and strength. And perhaps this is one reason why the Lord favors children so much. Um, I've shared this before, and I'll bring it back and share it again, that we have in uh, Matthew 19, it actually, where um, the children are coming around, Jesus is teaching, and um, the disciples try to shoo the children away. He's too busy. Shoo, 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 shoo. And he came to another place, and a great multitude followed him. Uh, and when the disciples tried to keep the children away, then Jesus rebuked them. And he said, suffer not the children to come unto me. And this is uh, Matthew nineteen fourteen specifically. And, uh, you know, they came and the disciples were all, you know, Jesus was trying to tend to them. But the disciples... <clears throat> And I'm going to blame Simon for this one. Yeah, I'm going to jump all over Simon Peter. Because this is, you know, he, <laughs> this is so amazing. You go through the, you read through the Bible and Simon Peter always felt that there was a reason that he had to jump in and protect Jesus. Excuse me. We're talking about the only begotten son of God who turned water into wine and walks on water and heals the blind and has done so many things that he has witnessed, but he still feels this compulsion that he needs to protect Jesus. I have to study deeper and see what that compulsion is about, but he feels like that. So the disciples tried to block Jesus, thinking that the children were a bother. But Jesus rebuked them and said, suffer Little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and he left, and departed thence. So here's the thing that I think, my perception from what I've read in the several verses, and there's a whole lot that go through the New Testament where Jesus talks about children. We are called the children of God. If you've accepted that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son, we have become his children. We become heirs and joint heirs in the kingdom of heaven. And in Romans 8, it's our letter of adoption. So, children 
And this has been misspoken by some and even Christians or claiming to be Christians. That they say that, you know, it's, it's so hard that, you know, and there, and how this and why this even came up about abortion. Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, you know, it's sad because they're they're born into sin. Well, no, they're not. And the Bible doesn't say that. There's nowhere in the Bible that you can find where children are born into sin. What they are born into is a sinful place, a sinful world. But actually, children are born without guile. That means that they will not lie. They do not steal. They will tell the truth in whatever they see when you ask them. Anything. And they are not afraid until they're made to be afraid. They do not lie until they're made to lie. They do not steal until they're made to steal. They are conformed to this world by molding and teaching. And how are they being taught? Are they being taught the right way to walk and the path to be on? Or are they teaching to do these deceptive things? And Jesus, in another passage in the Bible, tells them, lest you become as a child, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. And what does that translate to? That translates to having faith in God. And I've shared this with you before. <clears throat> when my father used to tell me, you know, I was afraid because my brothers took me up and left me on the, on the edge of the roof and went and stashed a ladder somewhere. And my father came out and he said, jump, I ha I'll catch you. I was fearful but I jumped and he caught me. And I didn't learn until many years later after I had become a swim instructor for the Marine Corps, I was in an opportunity and I didn't find out that my father didn't know how to swim, but I couldn't see that he was touching the bottom and, the, and on the edge of the deep pool and I was up there and he told me, come on, jump, I'll catch you. And I jumped and he did catch me. He dunked me, you know, a little little bit and that was intentional but he picked me up and I was just laughing and having a good old time but he told me to jump and I did so and this is a kind of faith that Jesus is trying to teach and this is what he is trying to teach that we don't lie steal deceive hurt all these things are taught to children when they're born they are born without any of that none of that and this is what God desires us to be like. This is what Jesus tried to teach. They didn't understand it. Lest you become as a child, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? That you don't lie, you don't steal, you treat people well, you, treat, you speak the truth. The truth. If the dress makes mom look fat, tell mom, mom, I don't want you to be hurt in your heart, but that dress does not compliment you. What does that mean? Well, it makes you look much bigger than what you are. Ah! So she goes to the closet and she gets something else. Big deal. Always tell the truth. These, and, and teaching a child that a little white lie so you don't hurt somebody's feelings is not an appropriate thing to do. A lie is a lie and they will eventually learn to tell that another lie 
a lie on top of that lie, a lie on top of that lie to get around whatever it is that they're not supposed to be talking about. When you teach a child to lie, they will continue to do so. And they will expand on that so that it becomes a bigger lie and a bigger lie and a bigger lie. So a lie is lie, period. There is no such thing as a little lie. A little lie is okay. No, it's not okay. It is not okay, period. And when you tell a child, oh, it's okay to tell a little white lie so it doesn't hurt somebody. Who are you actually hurting? Oh, the person that they're telling that that dress does not make their butt look big, but it makes their butt look big. Or the pants that the husband, that the father gets told that those are not flattering because they're really tight and they look silly. But you tell them a lie to get them to go head out. And then they go out in public and people are laughing and ridiculing. And then her really good friend tells her the truth. And his really good friends tell him the truth. And then totally embarrassed, they go home. But here's the thing. Who are you harming when you tell a child that it's okay to tell a lie so you don't hurt somebody's feelings? Excuse me? So who are you hurting? You are hurting that child because you're teaching them it's okay to sin. A lie is a sin. Doesn't matter how big it is, how little it is, because eventually that sin will grow. And this puts a foothold for Satan and his minions to get into a child, a child who doesn't know any better. And then they will say, oh, that worked out pretty good then. I'll try that again. You don't think that that happens? Think back. Think back. When you did that very thing, and now you're teaching a child that it's okay to do that very thing that the Bible tells us not to do. So this is why Jesus rebuked the disciples, because those children had not yet been taught to be deceptive, to be lying, to be fearful, and tried to explain to them, unless you become like them, you're not going to get into heaven. <coughs> so you go ahead and you lie, you cheat, you deceive, and be afraid of everything, and don't trust and have faith in God and Jesus. And here's the other thing too. And I heard, I, I read something the other day and it was so, <laughs> I don't know where this person got this scripture from. And I'm going to, I'm going to jump over here right quick to the old, to, to my Hebrew word. Um, yeah, I didn't think there was. So, <laughs> This person, see, you have to be very cautious about um, individuals. She was trying to quote the book of Abraham, chapter 3, 24. And I was very puzzled because there is no book of Abraham. There are books that talk about Abraham and speak of Abraham and the covenant between Abraham and talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. and But there is no book of Abraham, but she's, and in her alleged admonishment was 
speaking of God and Jesus as a total separation, even when in the instance that she was speaking of that they were not. But here's the thing that we must remember is that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost can be separate, but they are one. They are one. And if you go into the Word of God, you will see that it speaks of Jesus as the Word of God and being with him. He was with God physically. And he was there from the beginning. And he is one with the Father. And the Spirit is one. And Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well when he spoke of God. And this is something that we have to understand. He was telling her that she will be able to worship God anywhere when his time comes. And it is not yet, but there will come a time, as he spoke to her, that she will be able to worship God anywhere. Because I shared with you that the Jews and the Samaritans, they they were at odds with one another, feuding from things that happened decades before. But they held on to it. They were bound by those ropes and chains that Satan tied them up with and threw, and they dragged them around. That's what happens when you don't forgive someone. When you say to someone that you're forgiven and then you don't, you are bound by ropes and chains and you drag them around. It's kind of like there's a story called A Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens wrote it. And it's about uh, Ebenezer Scrooge and he's haunted by the different spirits, Christmas, past, present, and future. And the one that comes is, is pretty haunting. And he's got chains and all kinds of weights and fetters and everything that are attached to the trains. And he's making noises and moaning. And, and he's speaking to uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. And he's trying to keep him from falling into that same trap. And the thing about that is that he's doomed to drag those chains around because he created them. He created them by holding on to so many things and each each instance got attached to that chain. So that, brothers and sisters, is, is a literary illustration of what happens when you allow things from the past to bind you, they keep getting attached to that chain. And pretty soon you're dragging around this thing. You're feeling, you're moping around, you're dragging around, you're agitated with people. Whenever someone gets near you, you get agitated. So these fetters that are attached to your person in your mind by the minions of Satan who come in and attach these things to anchor points and has they've been devised by Satan, <clears throat> given to his minions to make delivery. And if you allow them to do so, yeah, you're going to be miserable. Because when you tell someone that you forgive them and that you do not in reality do that thing, 
then you are a liar. You are not honoring God because if you tell someone that you forgive them and then you don't, purely and simply a lie and you are bound by those things and you watch people that do that very thing and they are indeed bound. They want to bring up everything and everything from the past and they drag around. Then they become angry about everything and anything. They become resentful. They become agitated when you ask any kind of questions. So don't be in that direction. And there is no separation between the Lord and God and the Holy Spirit. They can be separate. Hello, let's use the very elementary illustration. I hope that this person may be listening because this is the, first of all, number one, there is no book of Abraham. There is no Abraham 424 or 324 or whatever it was that she was trying to cite. And this is a this is a word. Um, Jamie, Doctor Jamie, I hope I'm saying this right. But anyway, <coughs> this is this is the way that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is called uh, perichoresis. I think I'm saying it right, but. This is, this is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are intertwined. They're, um, but they're able to be separate. So this elementary illustration that I'm going to share with this person, hopefully she's listening. You have an egg, you have the egg shell. And you have the egg white and you have the egg yolk in the center of everything. And then you break open the egg and then you are able to have access to the egg yolk, the egg white. And you have individuals when they're cooking or baking, they separate the egg yolk from the egg white. And both can still be used. And there are some really, well... I've seen them where they separate and they use only the egg white and they dispose of the egg yolk. Oh, that's not good for you. That's not good for you. Well, <laughs> let me share this with you too, that the egg is nearly 100% protein and is actually an excellent source of that and calcium. And where people start talking about cholesterol and all the things that you can get that are bad for you, that's because of what you make it into if you add certain things to it. So is this not exactly like the gospel of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? People add to it, they malign, they darken it, they deepen the the chasms that are already around us and we and they darken the word of God, they pervert it and malign it. Like, I don't, I still am very puzzled. Where did this woman find book Abraham 324, Abraham 424? Hmm. So very puzzled because there's not a book of Abraham in the Bible. <laughs> so trust in God and God is our strength. It is so much to be thankful for. 
and if we can imagine to to have his strength in us and and yeah we we get told that white noise interference that Satan loves to dump all around us and, and uh, dump on us so we get confused and we get beleaguered and we start going in a different direction than what we should be going into because we're not able to hear the spirit talk to us because we have that white noise interference going on. But think about it. Yeah, we're weak and we can't accomplish certain things, but oh my gosh, that the creator of the universe, simply by speaking it into existence and by his very word, the oceans stay where they are and by his command that the stars stay where they are and he put them in place. Imagine that strength is with you all the time. David talks about this in the psalm. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Paul talks about this thing. In the New Testament, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. This is, this is an amazing thing that we have this around us all the time. And yet, there are many that are focusing on the white noise interference. They can't get beyond that, so they start listening more intently to see because they're hearing things. They're hearing words. They're not just hearing the... That's annoying in and of itself when you have someone trying to talk to you. Or it could be like this. When, when, you, when you've ever sat across the table from someone, a friend, your partner, spouse, whoever, it doesn't make any difference. When you're trying to talk to them and you know that they're not listening because they're in a trance. And that trance has got nothing to do with your power and ability to put them into it. They just went there because their thoughts are somewhere else. And then you say, hey, 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 hey. Or you reach across and you tap on the table and then they shake them their heads and as if they're shaking themselves out of this trance. Oh, sorry, I was, I was somewhere else. Well, yeah, you were. Well, see, this is exactly what Satan does without white noise interference so that we're not listening to the words of the Holy Spirit. We're not listening to God speaking to us in his still small voice. We have gone somewhere else. We're gone the direction that the minions were told by Satan to, to take us to. And here's the other thing that happens too. Many times as a Christian, I've heard these words come right out of an alleged Christian's mouth. Oh, Satan just robbed me of this or robbed me of that. I'm, I'm not feeling very joyful today. He just robbed me of this and robbed me of that. He robbed me of my happiness. Well, first of all, I have somewhat ought with that, borrowing from my Lord and Revelation. But what I have against that is that the authority that Jesus gave us as disciples of his, that he can't take anything. 
what he can do is he can remove what you have open-handedly given to him or his minions. But remember this too, that we are not important enough to Satan that he comes himself. That's why he sends his minions, the serpents and the scorpions and the Chaldeans and comes around. Oh, he's wandering on the fringe and he's paying attention. But see, remember this, that he's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent and he's not omnipotent. None of those things, none of those characteristics does Satan possess. That's why he has minions that work for him. He has people that walk on this plane of existence that are under his control and being manipulated by him. That's why there are politicians that act the way that they do. That's why we pray for them. We pray for their strength. We pray for their repentance. And I had someone ask me the other day, repent for what sin? Well, excuse me, you need to open your eyes and look around, but here's the point. Repentance is not in particular a sin, although through the egregious behavior, there are sins being committed, but sin means changing direction or changing one's mind. You are going one way, you're sorrowful for it, or you regret that you went that way, so you turn around and you go back the other direction. That repentance just means a change of direction. It's not any great, big, fanciful thing, not really, but people look for it to be something that it's not. And this is what Satan loves to do. He drives that white noise interference. And when you hold your hands out and you release your happiness or joy, and then you start allowing happenings to define your happiness or allow that to govern your happiness, it's exactly what Satan wants to do, exactly what he wants to do. So they can't come in and take it from you. They will take, well, let me rephrase. They cannot take it away from you. They can take it from you. And the difference being that they can't come in and rob that from you. They can't come in while you're sleeping and then you wake up and you're not joyful or happy. They can't come in like a burglar coming into your house and, and taking anything while you're asleep or unconscious or not conscious of what's going on. What they can do is they can take it from you. So if you hold it out in an open hand and you don't resi- and you just let it go, oh, they'll take it from you. Sure they will. Same token, if you're standing out on the street somewhere and some thug comes up and he's getting ready to go in and rob a store, but you hold out a stack of $100 bills, you think that that person is not going to take them, that's pretty foolhardy. So if you hold your hand openly out there and you allow the joy of the Lord to be taken away, you weren't holding on to it very tightly anyway. What's up with that? Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, but holding onto the promises that he gave us is also of equal import. Don't only stand on the promises because the Bible is full of the promises, but you have to hold on to them. You declare the promises of God. And I've shared this with you before. God does not remind us, does not mind if we remind him of that. As long as you come to his gates with thanksgiving, and then when you enter and you speak to God that you do so humbly 
with authority that comes from his word. You don't demand anything from God. You don't talk to God as if he is subservient. He is Abba Yahweh, the maker of all things made. He is your father. He is your heavenly father and he is sovereign. He created everything that's in existence. So you don't go into his throne room and you start talking a bunch of arrogant trash. Go before the Lord humbly, but you can firmly and boldly. You can be humble and you can be bold at the same time, as well as you can be bold and arrogant at the same time. Choose the previous, be humble and come to the Lord. Say, Lord, thank you so much for what you do and thank you for letting me come and speak with you and commune with you and be beside you. And Father God, you promise that you will be with me. I've got some hard things that are going on. You promise that you would be with me through this and that your strength is my strength and my weakness. I talk to God and through the course of the days, I ask forgiveness because sometimes there are individuals that come and I, and I might've missed one of those bullet prayers that I should have been sending out and I miss it. And then my retort is to that individual is not as it should have been. It wasn't really bad, I, I don't believe, because I used to be really nasty. Oh yeah, I used to be really bad. And... Um, very confrontational individual I used to be. I was from a warrior class. I mean, I spent so much time in the Marine Corps and I had to battle my brothers just for <laughs> just for family survival. But that's how I was. And now it's different. And what happened in between is the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who can change anyone. When we take our weakness and we give it to God, we have to remember that God spoke the universe into its existence and in our weaknesses is strength. And he shares that with us. And we have to give it to him. And when we do that, then, then we can concentrate and we can feel his strength come in. What happens though that deters that is our fear and our attempt at pre-planning everything. We have to try to pre-plan this and that and what about this and what about that and I have to make um, I have to make contingency plans in case that doesn't happen. <laughs> Isaiah 12, 2 through 3, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord, and as it says in the in the uh, Hebrew text, Hashem, Hashem, the Lord God, the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Mm, that is powerful. Remember that, that uh, David talks about being like a tree that's planted by the water, and I've described to you what the palms, where you find these things are amazing. God created these amazing trees. Um, botanists and they, they actually say that they're more of a grass, but the palm tree, its taproot is singular and goes so deep. And then 
their feeding roots close and near the surface, but just go out at such a great distance. And then if you've ever seen this palm in a heavy storm, unless it just, unless it's absolutely like a category 20 hurricane or something, and then it, it gets snapped off or snapped over. But these palms are amazing. I've seen videos of these things in some of these crazy, crazy, crazy storms. And they bend, but they don't break. They bend, but they don't break. Brothers and sisters, we need to be more like that tree that's planted by the water that David talks about. And what is that water source? That water source is the living water that's given, that flows from heaven, the living water. And this is what Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. They that drink of this well will thirst again, but they that come and drink from the water that I give them will never thirst. And then that led to more questions from her. And then he was able to expound further and explain to her that there is coming a time, didn't tell her that he was going to be crucified, but told her there will be a come a time when you will be able to worship God anywhere. One of my favorite places to worship, and I haven't been able to do so in a, quite a while, I actually miss it, is in the mountains. I spent time in Yosemite during the winter. Oh, my Lord God, I could see, was walking across the mountains. Very quiet. And then every once in a while you would hear an elk trumpet. Or you might see a bear wandering. And yes, bears don't hibernate 100%. They get up in the middle of the night, in the middle of their hibernation, they go out to find a snack. The only bears that actually truly hibernate are grizzlies and, and uh, even polar bears don't hibernate. Get up and wander around. And, so, and, and on the pure white snow, you see either a cinnamon bear or a black bear, which are related anyway. Or you can hear the elk off in the distance, but you hear no other sound because of snowfall. And the density of the woods are, are stopping all the sound. You only hear what God has put out there for you to hear, <laughs> not what mammon has put out there. You don't hear the traffic noise. And of course, wintertime in the middle of Yosemite Valley is negligent anyway. And David reminds us in Psalm 56, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. David is a man after God's own heart. God said that about him. And yet there are those that will point their fingers in accusation and condemnation. They speak of the devil. And that's where condemnation and accusations come from. Comes from the devil. <clears throat> if you're in the Bible and you're reading, you will know that that David was not a perfect man. There was nothing on the face of this planet perfect except for Christ the Lord. And God talks to us again about nothing perfect until he who is perfect has come. Jesus Christ comes back again. 
Brothers and sisters, we need to not be afraid. Surely you have granted him eternal blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. Psalm 21. But the interesting thing is that the joy of the Lord is an important thing. And this is talked about New Testament, Old Testament. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I will rejoice and be thankful. These things that we... We have to be representative of that. We seek his face. We seek his truth and his knowledge in all things that are said. And in the word of God, we seek that thing. What is that thing? The joy of the Lord. And when Paul talks about it in chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, translates to anxious, anxiousness. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ. I say it that way because I remind you continuously that the mindset is very important. The mind is also the weakest point of attack. Satan knows that. He's a great tactician. Satan is one of the greatest tacticians there ever was. He led some of the, the fiercest armies, even on this plane of existence, that were evil, wicked, nasty, guiding their steps. And, and as he's doing today, he is doing that very thing today. But people don't see that. They only see what's happening on this plane of existence and they don't pay attention to what the Bible says that we are in a spiritual warfare, that we are against principalities and those spirits that come from the darkness, Satan. And this is why it is important that we put on the full armor of God. So we need to concentrate on those things that are good. And if you read through chapter 4, you will see that Paul reminds us of those. And remember these things too, that... Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. They are minions of the prince of darkness the prince of the air, Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, whatever you may call him. He's got a lot of different names. He uses a lot of different guises. 
But we have the ace, and that ace would be salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have an armor that God made for us. We just have to remember that we have to put it on. And remember this too, brothers and sisters, that God would not have made us a suit of armor if things weren't going to get a little topsy-turvy every now and then. But do not forget, do not let go of the promises of God. Stand on the promises of God, but hold on to the promises of God. And it is not wrong to remind him that you're doing so and to remind him of the promises. Read through the Old Testament. There are individuals that reminded God and he didn't shock them with a bolt of lightning and take their life for doing that. It's not as if he forgets anyway, but when we, when we declare that to him, what are, you, what are we doing? Are we reminding God because we think that God is forgetful? No, what we're doing when we remind God of the promises, we're reminding ourselves and anyone that may be within earshot that we are doing what he has told us to do. And actually that reminder is more for self than for God. God doesn't need us to remind him. God doesn't forget. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's ever watching over us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. But that's reminding God or letting God know that you're paying attention to his word and his promises. And it's a delight for him that we do that because we're saying, hey, I remember this promise. You said that you would. I can just see it. I can almost close my eyes and I can see God standing up, sitting or standing, whatever he wants to do. But sitting on his throne, he's kind of leaning over and looking down and smiling. God, why are you smiling? Because you're telling me that you're in my word. You're telling me that you're paying attention to my word. You're telling me that my Holy Spirit is talking to you and you're listening. I like that. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers. How am I going out? Am I coming in on a daily basis? There are so many things and I don't know everyone personally. But there will come a time if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and you become saved and we go to heaven and says that we will all know one another. We will all be able to know one another. That's going to be pretty cool. So for those that you are not sure and have not decided as yet, an easy process. Just declare yourself ready. I want to have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to have faith in you, Father God. I want the Holy Spirit to guide my steps. I will, I do, let's go. Very simple. You can do it with somebody to pray with you that you trust or you know for a while and you, you want them to be with you when you do this thing. Or you can do it at a church, whatever, whichever way that you feel more comfortable. However you feel comfortable, whatever prayer posture you decide. God's good with you standing up. God's good with you kneeling down. And if you decide that it's important for you to prostrate before God, that you prostrate yourself and lay out flat to him, then if that's important to you, prayer postures, that's all those are. 
So have a good day. I pray for you on my going out, my coming in daily. Strength, uprightness, and boldness. Share that word.